All right, uh, this is Jason Foltz, and I'll be reflecting on Chapter 3 of Universal Design for Learning, Theory and Practice, by Ann Meyer, David H. Rose, and David Gordon. So I'll start by just rehashing some of the relevant take-home messages from our previous chapters in this textbook. First of those is that learning and the capacity of individual learners is context-dependent. This means that we can't talk about learners as isolated from their environment. Another point is that learners can vary dramatically, but that variation is to a great degree systematic and predictable, meaning that properly designed learning environments can be designed to be welcoming and productive for all learners. And finally, we discuss this learner variability within the context of three broadly defined neural networks, regions of the brain that correspond to affect, recognition, and strategy. In this chapter, <clears throat> chapter three, we look at these issues more deeply via the lens of neuroscience and recent discoveries about the structures and functions of the brain. The issue of variability was discussed widely throughout this chapter and was driven home with the analogy of the brain as a fingerprint unique to the individual. Another important and interesting point was simply the complexity of the human brain, which consists of one trillion neurons and a hundred trillion connections between those neurons. Learning has physical manifestations as the interconnections between these neurons are altered. Most of the rest of the chapter was a deeper dive into the three learning networks discussed throughout UDL, affective, recognition, and strategic. A few key characteristics emerge about the brain and about each of these learning networks. One is that they are specialized. In the same way that workers inside a factory specialize in specific tasks, rather than each of them being expected to be able to perform every task, different regions of our brain specialize in different tasks. This allows for greater efficiencies. Another characteristic of these learning networks is that they're non-hierarchical, meaning that they don't operate from top to bottom or bottom to top, but rather that information and instruction flows in many directions at once. And finally, as discussed previously, these networks vary. They vary not only from individual to individual, but also within a given individual. And this is where context comes into strong focus. For myself, I'm a different learner operating with different neural networks now than I was 20 years ago. I operate differently in the classroom than I do at home or in groups than I do individually. I can encounter the same material and respond to it differently depending on how it is presented, where it is presented, and who is presenting it. So what we begin to do here is to dispel this notion of the brain working in concert with our senses as a sort of recorder. Instead, the brain is a meaning-making machine. It takes selective information from the world around us, interprets it, 
and decides how to act on it. Once we view the brain in this way, it's much easier to understand this notion of variability both within and between learners. The effective network, as we've discussed, is involved with learner motivation and engagement. How are our students feeling about their learning? This has been a powerful concept for me in terms of considering what is going on in my students' minds as they walk into my classroom, as they interact with me and with each other, and with the different subjects that we discuss. Do they feel welcome or threatened? Do they feel interested or bored? And do they feel supported and inspired or anxious and embarrassed? The learning readiness of my students is powerfully impacted by their biology, their background, their self-appraisal, and their mental state on any given day. And it's impacted by the learning environment that I create, by the opportunities for community that I facilitate, and by the extent to which I nurture their learning and encourage their progress. In short, my students' learning outcomes cannot be considered apart from their emotional and motivational states. The recognition network is involved with how students receive and process information from the world around them. As mentioned previously, intense specialization takes place here. So there are parts of the brain that specialize in visual inputs versus auditory inputs, for instance. Abilities in those areas vary dramatically within and between learners, hence the importance of planning for learning environments that support a variety of learners. And finally, the strategic network, which as we recall involves the planning, execution, and self-monitoring of learners' expressions and actions. The same principles of specialization and variability apply here as in the other learning networks. We see evidence of variability, for instance, in the wide variety of ways that our students approach problem solving, how they plan out their studies, and how they formulate their goals. Different students need different levels and kinds of support in these areas if they are to be successful. So to conclude, for me, what evolves from all this is the idea of the relationship between an educator and a learner as more than simply conveying and receiving information. Instead, the teacher is a designer, creating an educational ecosystem that is conducive to all learners' success. The teacher is also an interpreter, helping students to identify key elements of their environment and make sense of them and the teacher is a coach, helping students to set goals, to create a plan for reaching those goals, and offering feedback and support each step of the way. Honestly, it's all a bit daunting, but at the same time, it's very exciting because it helps us understand that as educators, we can create an environment where all students, not just a select few, thrive.